Thank you. All right. Our reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is the word of God. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. So, one of uh, one of my favorite movies, a series of movies, is The Lord of the Rings. And I'm not going to talk about The Lord of the Rings, uh, but there is, thank you, there is a uh, a line that I think, uh, whether you like The Lord of the Rings or not. Uh, is worthy of consideration. It comes from one of the more wise characters in the story named Gandalf. And he speaks to a, a younger character who is just distressed with the amount of uh, gravity his particular role plays in the story, uh, that he wished he was not part of a time like this. And Gandalf wrote to him, or said to him, uh, that we do not get to choose the time that we live, but we do have to do this. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. I think that is a deeply profound and wise piece of counsel. We have to decide what we are going to do with the time given us. Not our time. The time that has been given. And I believe that is what we come to when we look at this passage about the seventh day. One of the things that I do as a pastor from time to time is is funerals. And part of preparing a funeral is preparing the eulogy. Now, I have gotten to do eulogies that were very pleasing and comforting and affirming and encouraging because I got to know that person. But I've also been hired for funerals of people I didn't know, and all I got was the, the life of that person as seen through the eyes of friends or family. And I have had to write what I would consider some pretty depressing eulogies. Eulogies that have filled the span of their life with things that do not last. With things that really don't mean much at all. And it makes all of us, I think, have to think about this. How do we want our time spent here remembered? What do you want your eulogy about? What is its center in your life, when people assess your lifespan, what's it about? See, what we do with our time, the time that is given, becomes our witness, becomes our testimony. What is your testimony in your time? 
Others of us can't even possibly think about the question of our, of, our, of our remembrance because when we think about time, the predominant thing is we are just tired, just exhausted, worn, slick. When's bedtime? When's nap time for these kids? <laughs> these are the things that we, we focus on. We are exhausted. We need rest. And yet as much as we seek to rest, we wake up and we're not that refreshed. If you are struggling with finding real rest, rejuvenation, freedom from exhaustion, Genesis 2, 1 through 3 is also for you. There are others in this room who have gotten into a pattern where all the days run together and you can't make sense of what's a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Friday. Days are pointless. They begin the same. They end the same. There's a grind. They don't seem to build to anything. They don't seem to have any direction to them. There is just a deep, so what, with my time. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3, addresses the point of our time. Why do we have to deal with these questions? Why is time something that we have to grasp and and, and fight with and figure out. The reason why is that we are creatures of time. We are bound to time. Time is a major part of our life. And time requires us to consider what we are doing with it. It is the most precious commodity that we have. When I was an engineer, there was an auction for vacation days. And I was a first-year engineer, which meant I got a total of, I think, five vacation days for the whole year. I spent more than it cost me to work a single day to buy those vacation days. (laughs) Because for me, the day off was worth more than anything to enjoy time to myself. Time is our most precious commodity. I would not be surprised if many of you are worried about the time that you have left or the time that you have spent and what you have spent doing with it. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. God gives us the seventh day to show us what our time is for. We are going to see as we look at this text that God's seventh day makes time God-centered. And when we grasp that, many of the things that I have set in front of you find their resolution, find their peace, find their rest. When we recognize from the seventh day that our time is to be God-centered, we're going to see three things today. That time is stewarded, that time is worshipful, and that time is a prelude to eternity. Let's go and take a look at each of these in detail. Time is stewarded. When we recognize the seventh day makes time God-centered, the first thing we recognize is that the time that we have is stewarded. As Gandalf said, it is given. We look at Genesis 1, and, and something that's very fascinating is that fully three days of the seven-day creation account 
have as their interest and concern time. Day one, God creates time, day and night. Day four, God creates timekeepers, the sun, the moon, and the stars to keep track of days, months, and seasons. And then day seven, God made a special day just for rest. In the creation, time is created, time is structured, and time is made first and foremost to serve God. Genesis 1 shows that time is God-centered. He's the author of it, he's the determiner of it, and he's the director of it. And so as we are image bearers, we must come to this obvious conclusion. We are stewards of God's time. As David wrote in Psalm 139, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. David recognized that his life was on a book that he was writing. His life was living out God's will for him. His days were given by God to accomplish for God what God desired for his life. David recognized that his lifespan, his days, were stewarded. They were his responsibility to give back to God. They were not his by ownership. And how fundamentally different is that perspective from how we look at our days? Do we recognize, first and foremost, the owner of our days is God? We do not give them to him. He gives them to us. I suspect that reverses the way most of us think about time. So as image bearers, we are stewards of God's time. How do we steward God's time? Genesis 1 explains to us that our time is stewarded as image bearers by reflecting God's use of time. And that is by being workers and resters in the pattern God has established. As as we're told in verse 2, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Why is it six days? And we spend a lot of time talking about those six days in a, in a debate about the age of the earth. But I really think the question we need to ask is, why six days? Is it six days because that was the fastest and the hardest that our omnipotent God could get creation completed? No. The reason that God created in six days as opposed to an instant or as opposed to some other increment of time is because he desired to create in a way that we could model in our daily life. That is why we come to the fourth commandment where God literally takes Genesis 1 and 2 to become our pattern. He says in the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what we have in Genesis 1 is a pattern. God created a pattern so that we could walk in that pattern. As image bearers, our work can reflect God's creating work. That's incredible to me. That's, that's an amazing condescension. God did not create the world in a way that, that made it impossible for us to share in it. He created it in a way that in our individual lives, our daily weeks of work, we can show part of it. We can image part of it in our work. In fact, it's astounding. The word work that is used in Genesis 2 verse 2 for what God has just created is the exact same word that the Bible uses for your work, for mundane work, for the work of of taking care of the home, the work at the office, the work of tending sheep and cattle and, and livestock, the work of a servant. There isn't a special word for God's work. He uses the most profane and ordinary word for work, the same word for work that you do in your day-to-day life. But why does he do that? Because he wants you in your work to image him. He wants you in your work to see it as a stewardship of reflecting him. God gives our work immense dignity because of this. God has made our work to reflect his, and so when he uses the same word for work, We are told in the words of a a famous commentator, when the name work is given to God's six days creation, human work is ennobled to the highest conceivable degree as being the copy of his model. What what, 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 What scripture is telling us here is that God has dignified your work. He has made it a beautiful reflection of him. Now, in the world, we have jobs that we think are good jobs and jobs that we think are bad jobs. I remember having a conversation with my wife a couple days ago about how the title that we attach to our jobs, we just continue to to try and throw in bigger, more respectable words. You know, we all want to have the word doctor uh, or or engineer or or lawyer or something. Maybe not lawyer, but... uh, (laughs) We, we, want, we want to grasp every title and, and, and cram it into every job so that we're administrators and we're managers and you know, we're, we're directors and all of these sorts of things. Because in our, in our uh, worldly mindset, there are some jobs that are worthy of dignity and then there are a lot of jobs that have no dignity in them at all, that are embarrassing, that we don't want to admit to, that are looked down upon. But here's the wonderful thing about work in God's eyes. He who gives a cup of water is beautiful in God's eyes, is esteemed in God's eyes. The most meaningless work from the world's eyes 
is treasured and celebrated and made great in God's eyes. There is no work in this world that is done as a service to God that is not absolutely beautiful to him. Your work is full of dignity. It's not how the world views it. It's how God views it. And every single one of your law-abiding jobs, he delights in. Because in that place, you are reflecting him. You are doing in a way, in a, in a, in a, in a smaller way, the same thing he did in creating everything. And that delights him. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. And he's speaking to people who were slaves in that culture. Slaves had no respect in the world's eyes, no honor. They had to do the most unlikable things in the world. They had to do every dirty job. And yet, because they are truly working for God as stewards of time, Paul is able to say, you are serving the Lord Christ. And that is true of every single one of you in your work, first and foremost, before paychecks, before managers, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. As stewards of time, Work is about honoring God. We are on his clock, right? Paul also says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Because of the way God has created using six days and making those six days the pattern for our six days, Our work is for him, and our work bears witness to God. Our work is about honoring him, reflecting him. How did he end his work week? With what words? It was very good. God does his work with excellence. God does his work to reflect him. The same is expected of us as image bearers. That our work should witness that we are not working for the manager. We're not working for the company. We are working for the Lord. And I think this is where we have to do some soul searching. Are we putting in a very good day? Are we accomplishing very good That's what we should strive to do as reflectors, as image bearers. I remember in my engineering days, the most uh, difficult time of the week was Monday morning before 9 when I had to put together my timesheet. I had to give them 40 hours of work from the previous week that they are going to pay me for. And it was always a major tearing of conscience. Because as I look at each of those hours, I don't know if that hour is (laughs) billable. I drink a lot of coffee that hour. 
I spent two hours talking to that secretary. You know, uh, those hours were not really billable hours. And yet somehow by 9 a.m., I just got it to 40 and I turned it in. But I, I, I share that because I think that there is a place here to think about and reflect on. Poor quality and laziness in work are sins. They do not reflect the very good work of the one that we are to reflect. If you want to know what they belong to, they belong in the category of of stealing. Uh, The staff and I have been reading through a a book by J.I. Packer, and he was dealing with the uh, uh, Eighth Commandment. And he said this about stealing. He said, theft of time is perhaps the most common form of theft today. We start late, finish early, stretch coffee, lunch, breaks, and waste time in between. He says of this, this is theft. And I can't really argue. So as we recognize that time is stewarded, we must recognize that our work has great dignity, that it is to the Lord, but that it is also an arena where we give honor to God. Let us not let our employers put the words lazy and Christian together. Let us honor God by the reputation of doing good work with the highest integrity. Second, time is stewarded, but we also see that we don't just honor God by our work. Second, we see that time is worshipful. Time is worshipful. Why the seventh day? I mean, on a very pragmatic sense, nothing happens on day seven. It's wasted. I mean, what could he have gotten done with one more day, right? Could have made chocolate, zero calories, something like that. I mean, you know, (laughs) why the seventh day? Everything is done. It, it, it almost seems like if, if, you're, if you're being very efficient telling the story, that to then describe a day where nothing happens seems like a, a waste of words. Everything is done, but yet he goes to tell us, and then the seventh day, God rested. The reason that there is a seventh day is so that we don't get this crazy idea that creation's all about us. The last thing God, was, God created was man on the sixth day. We are the pinnacle of what he created. But what God wants us to know by going into the seventh day is that creation is not man-centered. Creation is God-centered. Creation is to focus on God, not us. And so he made that clear by making only one day truly a blessed day and a day that is called holy. And that is the seventh day. That is his day. So let us look at some of the terms that are used in in the seventh day. First, we are told that, that God rested. Why did God rest? Was he tired? Was he, was he worn out? Was the seventh day, my gosh, that week is finally finished? No. 
The reason that he rested is not because he was tired, but because he was finished. The work that he set out to do was complete. There was no more work of creation to do, so the seventh day, by necessity, was resting from all that he had done. But we need to recognize that when God rests, and when we hear the word resting in the Bible, that there is often a royal connotation. Rest has the image of sitting. When you sit down, you're in a state of rest. And so often when we read of a king sitting on his throne, it is said that he is taking his rest. And so when we hear God resting, we should be thinking about the fact that he is finished with his work and now he is seated, enthroned above his creation. We see this made pretty explicit in Isaiah chapter 66. Verses 1 and 2, where we are told, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. What God is telling us in Isaiah chapter 66 is, You build me a house that you want me to rest in, but the reality is I've already built my house to rest in. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. When God finished his creation, he created himself a throne where he now reigns in royal rest over all creation. So when we come to the seventh day and we hear that he is resting, we should remember in that language that he is enthroned over all, that he is worthy of the praise of all. And so when we think about the seventh day in relationship to those six days that we work, it casts its image over everything. What do the six days serve? The six days for God become what gives him praise and satisfaction on the seventh day. So as we image God, the six days that we work become part of our worship. We are to bring the very good the first fruits of our work to lay before the one who is enthroned above the creation and say, my time is stewarded, all that is mine is yours, receive this gift as an offering. There is a connection between the work week and the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day calls all of what we have done to be an act of worship. And that's why we take the offering every Sunday. This is a way for you to connect your day-to-day life, your work, into an act of worship by providing first fruits. And I hope you seize it as an opportunity of worship. God's blessed this day. This day, he blessed a day by itself. When God blesses something, he is doing something He's not using the word blessed like I hear it down here. I've heard you can bless someone's heart and mean nothing good about it at all. Very bizarre. God does not use blessed like we use it down here. Blessed to God means to equip, to empower, to infuse with his goodness what he needs you to have. 
As one of my lexicons says, that which is blessed functions and produces at the optimum level, fulfilling its divinely designated purpose. God has given us a day that he has blessed for our good to accomplish our designated purpose. To exist at the optimum level, we must grasp the seventh day. It is a day of rest and a day of worship. There are at least three, three things that are, are blessed uh, through God on the seventh day. First of it all is our welfare. We all need to rest, to work well. And so God has built in a day of refreshment. Second, though, we are blessed because a day of rest checks our self-idolatry. Our self-idolatry. Our work becomes the place where we become self-made people. Everything I have, everything I need, everything I want, I work for it. But when you take a day of rest, you have to take yourself out of the cockpit and you have to say, somebody else flies the plane today. When we take the day of rest, we are admitting we are not Lord over our lives. We are practicing trust. That the one who is truly in control is not us, but our Father in heaven. As Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, i.e. those who who are, are idolaters, godless, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, when we neglect the Sabbath, when we neglect the day of rest, we are Gentiles, people who don't witness a knowledge of God, don't witness a relationship with God, don't witness trust that God's got our back, that God takes care of us. It is when we take our foot off the pedal and trust God is in control, which is what the Sabbath calls us to do, that we witness powerfully. We are to focus on his kingdom and his righteousness, which is to say the third blessing of the Sabbath day is that it focuses us. Our time, like it or not, reveals our values. If I look at your calendar, I know what's most important to you. Your work or your hobbies or your recreation or, or these things that we just call time killers. I mean, how disgusting... <laughs> We have time killers, and yet many of us tie up so much time that we just call killing time. But the seventh day causes us to look and prioritize him with our time. What a powerful witness that is. I mean, if you want to get a sandwich today at Chick-fil-A, you can't get one. And the reason is because that company has decided we are not going to pursue profits because we are going to observe God's lordship over our business and our time. And I think it's an amazing witness. Eric Little in the 1924 Olympics would have had a gold medal, but they arranged his race on the Sabbath. And he said, I can't go. And we're still talking about that. Like, can you believe he hung up his own glory for the Sabbath day? 
And yet that's the point of life, to be centered upon God's rest, God's blessing, God's holiness. And it ought to make the world say, what's so special about Sunday when you prioritize it over the things that the rest of the world does? It's a holy day. The first piece of creation God sanctifies is a day. It means that he has set it apart. He he has made the Sabbath day a threshold to him. You come into the Sabbath day, you come into the seventh day, and he says, I'm going to commune with you here. Here, be still and know that I am Lord. There should be a hush on our Sabbath so that we can know the Lord. It is a divine appointment to commune. The one who is enthroned says, I am setting a day aside so that all who come to me may enjoy me. And yet, We have a hard time finding that time. The Sabbath day summons us to lift our eyes from our work and our worldly concerns and just wow in him. Just wow in him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Wow in him. But you have to give time to receive that blessing, to cross that threshold. And God has established that in the seventh day. Third, we recognize that time is a prelude to eternity. Time is a prelude to eternity. When we recognize that God's seventh day makes time God-centered, we see it as stewarded. We see it as worshipful, but third, we see it as a prelude to eternity. The seventh day in creation is not just the last day. It's not just the the day that necessarily follows after sixth. It's the end. It's the climax of the week. The reason there are seven days is because God determined seven days. There is not an eighth day. It stops at seven. It is the climax All of the days are progressing to the seventh day. And when the seventh day comes, we stop counting the days. And there is also something very interesting. If you read Genesis 1 carefully, you will see that every day ends with, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. But when we come to the seventh day, we've heard that six times, and it's not said on the seventh day. We are not told that the evening came and the morning came. We are not told that the sun set on the seventh day. And I think that is significant. Why would there be no refrain? What would be the reason that God's day, his seventh day, never comes to an end? Well, I think it's because his rest from creation never ends. He doesn't go back to work because his work is finished. And if his seventh day involves his taking the throne, his reign over creation never 
finishes. And so since the work or the activity on the seventh day goes on forever, the seventh day has no sunset. The seventh day reveals then that the goal of creation is to join God in his rest and to enjoy his presence forever. When we look at the epistle to Hebrews, we are told that this seventh day is still ongoing and open to to those who pursue it. Hebrews 4 verse 4 says, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. Following the logic of of Hebrews is a little difficult, but he is telling us that the seventh day of where God rested is the same day that remains to his audience to enter into it. The whole goal of creation is to become one with God in his day of rest, to enjoy the ceasing of our works and the participation of his finished rest. The seventh day, then, is a prelude to eternity. What we read in the seventh day is the hope of heaven. It is the hope of eternal, blessed life, free from the labors and toils and worries and anxieties that all of our work produces. He desires for us to join him in that rest. So as we look at that, as we think about that, as we think about the future, as we think about the future, are we filled with hope or are we, are we filled with anxiety? I don't know about you, but as the days pass, as, the, as, the, as, the, uh, as it falls through the hourglass, metaphorically speaking, I get kind of anxious. I get kind of anxious seeing days pass by, losing track of time, seeing the number of days in front of me, perhaps being the same or less than the days I have behind me. There is an unease of the days as they pass. We're always aware, because we're mortals, that there is time passing. And why why does it create so much anxiety? Why is there so much fear as we see these days progress and they wash away as we retire one calendar after another into the bin of trash, recognizing that we might not have that many calendars left to buy. I'll tell you why I think the days scare us. It's because we're never going to feel finished. We're never going to get to the place where we can say, my work is done. We're never going to get to the place where we're going to say, my works are very good. I can rest from them. We constantly look at the time that we have and we see the gap that we have to accomplish and we see ourselves falling short. Whether it be in our job, it's just a job that will never be finished. Or the raising of our kids, we won't get it finished. We recognize daily that we fall short of saying finished and very good. And we know if we are coming to the end 
unfinished and without a report of very good, then the true eulogy of our lives is you fell short. You have not earned your rest. You came up short. As the days pass by, our rest becomes increasingly unearned. And as that is a prelude to eternity, that creates great unease. Because we know that we all fall short of the glory of God. That means that we cannot join him in his rest by our work. Not even close. But that does leave us with one hope. One very good hope. One great piece of news that we end with as we consider God-centered time. God doesn't ask us to earn his rest. He asks us to receive it. We are told in the Gospel of Matthew, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rest that we seek, the rest that comforts us, the rest that allows us to hope is the rest that Christ came to provide. How? Christ is the one who received the report, well done. You are well pleasing. He did his work well. Christ is the one that finished his work on the cross in John 19.30. He cries out as his last words, It is finished. All that he came to do, he accomplished. He bowed his head with complete and very good work. And he goes into heaven to rest. What is prepared for our uh, Lord and Savior in heaven? A chair. We are told that he sits in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He is seated in his royal rest because he has completed his work very good and completely finished. And he says to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His very good, finished, seated rest is yours by faith in him alone. My question then ends with this. As we talk about God-centered time, is your life, is your faith, is your heart centered in Christ? 
That is the place of perfect rest. God's gift of time is enjoyed when it is centered in him. It makes our work dignified. It gives our life joy and it orients us towards the great expectation of spending eternity with him. Let the testimony of our days be Jesus is my resting place through and through. Amen.